Do you know the oldest Christmas carols? Anybody want to give a go? Or oldest Christmas carols? I can assure you it's none of those carols that we have just sung. Those are only 200 years old. The oldest carols, they're probably not known as carols, just Christmas hymn, is written in the 4th century. And it's a song called Jesus, Light of All the Nations. Jesus, Light of All the Nations. And another one is called Of the Father's Love Begotten. Those are the two Christmas hymns that was written in the 4th century. You still see, you see, can hear it on YouTube. But actually, the angel song, it is actually the first carol sung. Zechariah's song or Mary's song are both uh, sung before Christ was born, but this is the angel's song. It's the very first song, first carol that was sung after Jesus was born. And you probably it's probably more familiar than the Mary's and Zechariah's song. Let me just read to you the text first because I want to expound to you, especially in verse 14, just only one verse of the angel's song, unlike Mary's and Zechariah's song. Let me just read to you the words of Luke chapter 2, verse 8, which we have already heard from the clip. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, we do not know exactly how many shepherds were there, although the clip only showed two, but we actually don't know. Just like people think there are three wise men because there are three gifts, but in reality, we don't know how many wise men were there, but three gifts. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And this is where from one angel became multitude of angels. In verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, so this is an angel song, only one verse, glory to God in the highest, sorry, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. As the clip has mentioned, the way God chose to announce his arrival to a very few lowly shepherds on a Judean village or hillside really, really defiles description. Because as we have heard before, we are aware, these shepherds are least in the society. Shepherds were so low on the social scale, they were not even allowed to give testimony in a court of law. And but God chose to reveal or announce the birth of his coming to earth to the shepherds. And here, therefore, an army, a host, or a multitude of the heavenly hosts would probably more accurately 
translated as a heavenly army host or a great number in the thousands probably. And not only that, this was not a silent army. So thousands of angels suddenly appeared before the shepherds and burst out in this beautiful song, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom His favor rests. This is the announcement from the angels. Angels, they knew it is as though heaven itself is so jubilant so overcome with joy and anticipation. They've been waiting for thousands of years, way back prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. They were so overcome with joy and anticipation at the wonder of God and man being born into the world through the Virgin, fulfilling the purpose and plan of God in the salvation of lost men. And the angels cannot contain themselves and it spills over into the earthly realm. So why these beautiful songs? Simply because, as I already read to you in verse 10 and 11, this message given in verses 10 and 11 was too astounding, too earth-shattering, too glorious to stay silent. This is just like applause spontaneously breaking out or a standing ovation after an amazing musical performance. Christ has come. God is being given glory in the heavens and nev as never before in all of history. Heaven is overflowing, gushing, dancing with joy, unspeakable and full of glory because the Son of God has come to earth to give Himself a ransom for the lost sons and daughters of Adam. Mercy and grace and love have reached the highest apex. And it is all wrapped up in this babe in Bethlehem. What a magnificent scene this must have been to the shepherds as we try to recapture that by uh, putting on this clip. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this. Paul says, But when the set time had fully come. The set time had fully come. God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. When the set time had fully come. Thousands of years they've been waiting. Prophets have been prophesying for the time that Jesus will come. Why this time? Because it is the right time spiritually. There was a hunger that had been developing. There was, some historians said, a fever pitch just before Jesus was born. The Jews had always anticipated, longed for, prayed for a deliverer, a Messiah. But now that Rome had occupied their territory, they grew to such a longing for redemption, longing to liberate them under the oppression of the Rome like never before. So it was the right time spiritually. It is also the right time culturally. Why? Because for the first time since the Tower of Babel, the world was now unified with a single language, the Greek language. You could go from India to Britain 2,000 years ago and share the same ideas in the same common precise language. So it was the right time spiritually. It was the right time culturally. It was the right time politically 
Because 2,000 years ago, Rome had taken over the world. And because Rome had taken over the world as oppressive as that might feel to the Jews in the Judea, it still brought a unification of the world. Because Caesar Augustus imposed what he called the Pax Romana. A Pax Romana is called the Roman Peace, which means that for nearly 200 years, there was economic growth and cultural growth and military stability. Do you know that during that time, there was almost no military conflicts whatsoever because of the Pax Romana? So people could now travel freely with their, their ideas. Rome built a road system around the world, 250,000 miles of roads, 50,000 of which were paved roads. Many can still be seen today when you go to Europe. So people could now travel freely with their ideas and have military guards ensuring their safety along the way. So now the gospel is in the most precise language ever, under the most ideal circumstances ever, with people who are hungrier than ever, going to places more freely than ever. It was the fullness of time. It was the right time for Jesus to come at that time. And therefore, angels waiting for thousands of years for this Messiah to arrive, burst out in spontaneous song. They say, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. But if you, you don't need to be very cynical. You don't need to be extremely skeptical to know that 2,000 years has passed, where is this peace that we have been talking about? That's a, this is just some of the painting that the shepherds might be seeing. Don't know. A lot of people try to put some imagination into thousands of angels appear before the shepherds. There's this Christmas, there's this guy by the name of Henry Longfellow. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this famous American poet. He put together uh, a poem. He wrote a poem, and the poem is called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, which he become the song sung by Casting Crowns. You can listen to it on the YouTube. I hear, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. But much of that song is based on the poem written by Henry Longfellow. He was an American poet who lived in the mid-1800s. And he wrote a poem that formed the basis of this carol. And the poem was written on Christmas Day, 1863, about 100 over years, 150 over years ago. And at that time, the American Civil War had been raging for over two years. Over millions of fathers and sons and brothers would not be home for that Christmas and many of those would never return at all. But on the Christmas Day morning, 1863, Henry Longfellow pondered the dismayed state of the world in which he lived. He was no stranger to tragedy. His first wife, uh, Mary, had died six months into her first pregnancy at the age of 22. And his second wife, Frances, had died from severe burns after her dress caught fire. And now, as the civil war raged around him, Henry would spend 
this Christmas nursing his oldest son, Charles, back to health after a bullet nearly paralyzed him. So first wife died, second wife died, and the oldest son is almost paralyzed and he has to nurse him back to health again. And as he listened to the church bells pealing forth their Christmas tidings on that Christmas morning, he struggled with the message of the angels as they proclaimed to the shepherds, peace on earth, goodwill to men. He struggled with that because it was in the context of, of civil war in America. Uh, and, and therefore, he, he sat down and he penned these words in his poems. He said, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. They are all familiar carols play. And mild and sweet their songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to man. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drown of peace on earth, goodwill to man. It was as if an earthquake rent the heathstones of a continent and made for forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And this is the, the line. He said, And in despair, I bow my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And you can certainly see his point as the cannons and the gunfire drown out the sounds of the Christmas carols. And as Henry looked around the ruins of war and the ruined lives of the people he loved, it did not seem like peace on earth, goodwill to men. And even for us today, we are, although we are not in a civil war in Australia, maybe not physical civil war, but we don't have to look far to see that peace on earth seems to be a fairy tale. You know, it has been estimated that in the last 4,000 years, there, has, there have been less than 300 years without a major war. And in the Old Testament, the word violence in Hebrews means Hamas. So if you wonder what the terrorist group Hamas means, it simply means violence. And it was used 70 times, often carrying with it a sense of extreme wickedness. And in the 400 years between Old and New Testament, which they call the intertestament period, 400 years, there were at least five bloody battles for the possession of Jerusalem. And over one million Jews were massacred when the Roman Emperor Julius, Emperor Titus, invaded the city in AD 70. One million people, one million Jews died. And the following centuries saw no reduction in humanity's appetite for aggression. One authority states that during the period between 1480 to 1941, Great Britain was involved in 78 major wars. France, 16. Spain, 64. Russia, 61. Austria, 52, Germany, 23, USA, 13, China, 11, and in Japan, 9. And in the 20th century, 
who was told by many as the beginning of a millennium of peace. Then we have First World War, 1941 to 19, 1914 to 1918. You know, kill how many people? 30 million people in the four years of war. And Second World War, 1945, you know how many people were killed in the battlefield? On the conservatives' guess, 90 million people in the Second World War. And that's not just a problem for foreign countries. I would say that there is also a lack of peace even within our own homes, our own country. International studies suggest that one in five women and one in 13 men report having been sexually abused as a child. Every year, there are estimated 41,000 children under 15 years of age who die from homicide. At least 10% of adults aged 65 older will experience some of elder abuse in a given year. And most of it is neglect. So even within a peaceful country like Australia, there's not, still not much peace that the angels mentioned 2,000 years ago. And in fact, many of us struggle to find peace even within our own hearts. How many people battle with anxiety? How many people battle with depression, addiction, stress, worry, or whatever else? I went to Beyond Blue website and get some statistic. It says that one in seven Australians will experience depression in their lifetime. One quarter of Australians will experience an anxiety condition in their lifetime. One quarter. One in 16 Australians is currently experiencing expression. Ex sorry, one in 16 Australians is currently experiencing depression. So, it based on the statistic, we have 200 over people, about, about at least 20 people in our church is experiencing depression. It based on that statistic. One in seven Australians is currently experiencing an anxiety condition. We are people desperately looking for peace, and we are not finding it. We pour, America pour trillions of dollars, and even in Australia, into the militaries in the name of peace. We spend billions on police and peace officers and courts and judges and lawyers and all the staff in search for peace. We buy books on meditation, on yoga, which hire, we hire psycho psychologists, we hire therapists and whatever else. We spare no expenses in hopes that we can find that which eludes us most, the real and lasting peace. And yet 2,000 years ago, the angels gave us a promise of peace, a promise in the form of a little baby born in a manger in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So I was just looking at this verse again. It said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards man. This is a King James translation. Um, but it's actually, it says, peace to those whom Peace to those on whom his favor rests. There is a condition there. 
And Hebrews 11 says, without faith it is impossible, please, please God. So it's either, I was a salesman before, I know what it means to oversell something. And sometimes when you look around our environment, you look at the world, you look at our own hearts and look at our society, and you wonder whether the angel actually tried to oversell Jesus. You know how salesmen can oversell something that cannot deliver. They just focus on the positive aspect of it. But in reality, you cannot deliver. That goods cannot deliver whatever you promise. So the question then is, did the angel actually oversell, trying to oversell Jesus? Or we have misunderstood what peace really means. Because we often only focus on King James Version that says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards man. But the actual translation is, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So in this simple uh, uh, verse here, in verse 14, they look up and then they also look down. They look up, they declare the angels, God gets all the glory, all the praise, all the fame for this good news of great joy. Glory to God. Glory to God. And then look down and says, peace of, over humanity. As you can say, as I already mentioned, they are not talking about every person will have peace. Peace among those with whom God is pleased or to whom those whom He's Favor rests. Glory to God in the highest. It simply means the heavens are glorifying God right now because of the sending of the Christ child, because of this pouring out of peace in the giving of the Prince of Peace. That's what glory to God. So, what then is this peace that he brings? Why is the peace announcement and what of it? Familiar verse during Christmas time. Here, Isaiah prophesied many years ago, for a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So in order to understand and looking around peace here, and cannot find peace, we must understand that the prophecy here was partially fulfilled, not fully fulfilled. Partially. Because Christianity must also understand there is a second coming of Christ. So piety of that is in the future. We can experience something. It's just like a, a, a mother pregnant with a child. You still got to wait for nine months for the completion of the baby to be born. But the joy is, has been felt. The excitement can be there. So it was partially fulfilled, but not fully fulfilled through Jesus yet. The child was born, yes. The son was given, yes. And we read that in Luke chapter 2 just now, that Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. He was that little baby lying in a manger, just as the angels described to the shepherd, yes. And that baby grew up, lived a perfect sinless life, and yet was put to death like a criminal on a cross. But because he was the mighty God, the everlasting Father, as mentioned here in Isaiah, he defeated sin and death and rose again from, all the, from the grave 
now as the King of Kings and the Lord of all Lords, He is patiently waiting for people to come to Him to repentance, to turn to Him in the forgiveness of their sins and the promise of eternal life. But He will not wait forever. He will return again, as Scripture tells us. There's coming a time soon where Jesus will return to establish His government, as mentioned here, and His peace forever. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of His ancestor, David, for all eternity. So partially fulfilled, but it will be, it will be completely fulfilled in the second coming. So while we are here in the in-between period, we can still enjoy peace. Peace has been prescribed to us. John 16.33, Jesus said this while he was on earth. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus warned us, in me you will have peace. Yes, you will have trouble, but you can experience peace. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, and we can find peace in Him. This isn't just a promise for the future, for us believers. This is a promise for the here and now, we still can experience that peace here and now. But the world peace will come when Christ returns. So let me just uh, mention two things. Two things, upward peace we can have. The starting point is upward peace. It's the peace of God. Two-step process. First one is upward peace and then inner peace. Peace with God and peace of God. The upward peace, before we can find peace among the nations, before we can have peace in our families, before we can have peace in our own hearts, first we must have peace with God. Each person must make peace with God. And by Jesus coming to earth, it makes it possible for that to happen. This, the Bible says before, because of our sin, we are enemies of God. We are separated from God. We were created to be in fellowship with Him, to live in the very presence of God. But our sin prevents that, and this separation from God happened. This lack of peace with God is the root and the cause of all our lack of peace with everyone else. And that is why Isaiah says this. Isaiah says, But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was the punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. Have you heard of this uh, slogan before? Say, no God, no peace, as in N-O. No God, no peace. But when you know God, K-N-O-W, you know peace. So no God, no peace. But when you know God, you know peace. And that's more true than we probably realize. Until we have peace with God, until we make the upward peace settle, we simply will not be able to know the peace in the other areas of our lives. God has provided a way for us to have peace with Him. It is all His work 
and none of our work. He has made it possible for us. The barrier has been taken down. The curtain has been broken that only the priest can enter. Now we can come to God. That is why, did you realize that why we pray? How do you finish off your prayer usually? In Jesus' name. Why do you have to close in Jesus' name? Because we can only come to God because of Jesus. And therefore, Colossians chapter 1 tells us this beautiful verse that we did this in KYB. And most of our class members just completely, incredibly find this verse so encouraging. For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself, through Him. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were His enemies, separated from Him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. And as a result of that, he has brought you into His own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. Think about those verses. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before Him without a single fault. Because of Jesus. We have done nothing because of Jesus. Upward peace. You must make peace with God first. And God has provided the way for us to make it possible to enjoy this peace on earth. One more verse in Romans chapter 4. There he was handed over to die. Not because he has done anything wrong. Because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. And here comes chapter 5, verse 1. What a beautiful verse. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. We have peace with God. Upward peace. We can have peace with God is by believing in Jesus. And that one must settle. Once that is settled, then we can talk about inward peace. And then, of course, the third step we are not covering is the outward peace. Settle peace with God, you experience the peace of God. Inward peace. Why? How did that happen? How by believing in God, making peace with God, suddenly you can find peace in your heart. Why? Because you begin to live for God. You're beginning to living for His glory. Everything that you want to do is you're doing it for Him. And when you live in a selfless life, you tend to be more peaceful. You live a selfish life, you have no peace. And so the ultimate way of being selfless is to live for God. All glory to God. Everything of that you do is you're doing it for God. You're, doing for, you're living it for another person. And then you begin to experience peace in your life. And most of the time, we don't experience peace of God. Inward peace is because we are not living uh, for God. And here, once we make peace with God, 
then Jesus gives us the peace of God. In addition to being at peace with God, we can also have the peace of God. This is peace that simply doesn't make sense outside of a relationship with God. If you are not at peace with God, you never know the peace of God. It cannot happen. C.S. Lewis says, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from Himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Peace is not a thing they can give to you. It is not a principle. It is not a thing. It is a person. There is no peace apart from relationship with God. And once you make peace with God, and when you live for God, you begin to experience peace. You know. Therefore, Paul can say in Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything. Or some versions say, don't worry about anything. If you read the first verse there, there is a prohibition there. The prohibition is that don't be anxious. Did you know that the word anxious actually comes from two words? It means to tear or to separate or to divide. And the second word is mind. I'll check with Bill again afterwards. Bill is our Greek, Greek uh, uh, advisor. Uh, two words, divide and mind. So literally, the word peace is to be pulled in different directions. You are of two minds. Anxious means you're of two minds, therefore you're anxious. Anxiety takes over your mind in two different directions. It tears your mind. James put it this way, a double-minded man is unstable in all his way. So, in order to have inner peace, Paul said, do not be anxious. There is a prohibition there. But there is more than that. There is also a prescription. Not just do not be anxious about anything, he said, but in every situation, by prayer. By prayer. D.A. Carson said, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. So the, pres so the prohibition is don't be anxious. And the prescription is bring it to God. Anxiety is a concern over circumstances you can't control, but prayer is confidence in the God who controls your circumstances. Anxiety is an expression of fear, but prayer is an expression of faith. So that quite simply is why the antidote to anxiety is prayer. Whenever you're anxious, pray. Bring it to God. Don't anxious, prohibition, prescription is prayer. Everything, but in every situation, Paul says, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I love uh, Helen Steiner Rice. She wrote a poem called On the Wings of Prayer. This is what she says. She said, just close your eyes and open your heart. Feel your worry and cares depart. Just yield yourself to the fathers above. Let him hold you secure in his love. For life on earth grows more involved with endless problems that can't be solved. But God only asks us to do our best. Then He will take care of and finish the rest. So when you're tired, when you're discouraged, when you're feeling blue, 
There is always a door open for you. That is the door to the house of prayer. You find God waiting to meet you there. The house of prayer is not further away than the quiet place where you need to pray. For the heart is a temple where God is there when we place ourselves in His loving care. He hears every prayer and He answers each one. When we pray in His name, Thy will be done. The burdens that seem too heavy to bear are lifted away on the wings of prayer. So there is a prohibition there. There is a prescription there. And more importantly, there is a promise there. The inward peace will come when you don't anxious, bring every situation to God. And then verse 7, Paul said, and when you bring all your petition to the Lord, your concern, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. This piece isn't some cheap psychological trick to get you past a few moments, in, a few problems in life. No diagnostic manual or self-help book can reproduce it. It is a God-shaped and God-given. God promises us His peace. He said the kind of peace is transcends all understanding. To me, it's almost like a mind-blowing experience that even in the midst of your struggle, even in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of your turmoil, this peace transcends all understanding. It's beyond reasoning. Even though you may be in a difficult situation. This is a calm in the heart that exists even though your storm still rages. It is a mysterious thing. It is God's gift to those who will trust in Him in everything. That's the kind of peace that Jesus promised His disciples. The beautiful verse, isn't it? Peace I live with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. It's a different type of peace. The world peace is no conflict. It's like, oh, after Christmas, I have a bit of peace because I'm so busy. Uh, that's not the kind of peace that, that is without conflict. That's not the kind of peace that is no pain or no struggle. It is not. It is a peace that is divine in origin. It is a peace that cannot be disrupted by the problems, disturbances, and difficulties of life. It is a peace that cannot waver, that cannot be shaken, and cannot be destroyed. Like what Job, or Daniel, or Joseph, this kind of peace that they experience. This is a unique peace, a peace that comes from knowing who God is and trusting in His promises. When you can understand and accept that the all-powerful, all-knowing Creator of the universe who is completely sovereign over all His creation and that the Creator cares about every detail of your life, then you will get it. Then you don't have to worry about anything. You can just pray about everything. Tell God that you need and thank Him for all He has done. In my ministry, I have lots and lots of stress and concern for the church. But all I do is just bring it to the Lord. And the Lord, in His own sovereign will, I just told my wife yesterday, God's ministry, God provides resources. That's it. It is His ministry. He will provide the resources. 
There is nothing to worry about, nothing to fret, nothing to be worried about. C.S. Lewis said, life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties. Not too sure where I have that. No. Yes. Life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties. So peace with God, upward peace, then you experience peace of God. Inward peace. Inward peace. Not that there's no trouble, not that there's no difficulties. It will always be there as so long as we live between this in, in between first and second coming of Christ. So don't oversell in a sense. The peace can come only where God's favor rests on those who surrender their life to Jesus, making peace with God, then the peace of God can come. There's a prohibition there. Do not be anxious. There is a, a prescription here. Bring everything to the Lord in prayer. And there is a promise that when you do that, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your heart and mind focusing on Christ. Then you won't be aging so quickly. I quoted from you, I started with Henry Longfellow about his sadness. But I need to tell you there is a final verse that he put in there. Even though he had lost two wives, nearly lost a son, and he was surrounded by the pain and suffering of war, I think he recognized that there was hope. There was a peace that could only be found in God. There is one more verse to that poem that I read earlier. As he sat there in despair, concluding that there is no peace on earth, hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to man. And as he considered all this, it was as if that God spoke to him through the church bells that were ringing out Christmas tidings. Remember, this is a verse that he wrote. He said, And in despair I bow my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And as he continued to hear the bell from a distance on Christmas Day morning in 1863, he sat down and completed this poem with these words. He said, well then, peel the bells more loud and deep. Ring it louder. God is not dead nor dull his sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to man. Peel the bell, make it louder. God is not dead, nor dull his sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to man. And that's such a great reminder for us today. Despite the wars or whatever we see, despite the division, despite the violence we read about in the news, despite the brokenness we see in families all around us, depressions, anxieties, here, Longfellow said, God isn't dead. He's not asleep. And he has set a motion, a plan, centered around a little baby boy born in a manger the Prince of Peace, who has already defeated sin and death 
and will one day soon return to re-establish or to establish peace for all time. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to man. If you have no peace in your heart, the first process is always to make peace with God. That is the starting point. Make your peace with God. And when you make your peace with God, you begin to live for Him. When you begin to live for Him, your perspective begins to change. You're not living for yourself anymore. You have someone to please, someone you want to glorify. And when you have that direction right, the peace of God will come upon you. Trusting that He will see you through this situation. Let me just ask you to bow your heads uh, to pray, and then I'm going to get Jai to come and lead us with this famous Christmas carol, Silent Night. Lord, thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. Thank you that peace on earth will completely be fulfilled when you return. And we are living in between the first and the second bank. We experience some form of peace in our own heart, but not the entire universe. The peace of heart on earth can only happen when each one of us begins with peace, making peace with you. You have made a way possible for us. Oh, hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. It is all your work, none of us. We just need to come before you and believe in you, receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then we will begin the peace of God. Then we will have the inward peace. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. May none of us here leave this place this morning without making peace with you. Because until that happens, we cannot have peace of God. Thank you, Lord. As we sing these beautiful Christmas carols again, we're reminded that Christmas, you came for us. You make a way possible for us. And like the angels, we begin to sing glory to God in the highest, spontaneously bursting up in joy of your coming. And now, at this juncture, we look forward to the second coming of Christ. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen.